In ancient Greece, it was the basis for a symposium. Now it's the most used and also the most abused drug in the United States. How could this happen? Stay tuned to ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm Dr. Bill Rutenberg, your host, and with me today is Dr. Vivian Faden. Dr. Faden is the Deputy Director of the Division of Epidemiology and Prevention Research at the National Institute on Alcohol Abuse and Alcoholism, NIAAA, in Bethesda, Maryland, and leader of the NIAAA Underage Drinking Research Initiative. She is co-editor of Underage Drinking, a developmental framework which has been published as a supplement to the May 2008 issue of Pediatrics and serves on the NIAAA Liaison Office of the Surgeon General to develop and disseminate the call to action to prevent and reduce underage drinking. Today we're discussing a developmental approach to understanding underage drinking. Welcome, Dr. Faden. We're combating what a lot of people think to be a norm. How big is this problem? Well, first I want to say thank you for having me. And I'll start by saying this is a pretty big problem in the United States. I think we all know that alcohol is the drug of choice for adolescents. It's considered a rite of passage by many adults for kids to start drinking before it becomes legal. And alcohol is a big part of society in the United States. It's associated with times of celebration in many cases. And so kids grow up with alcohol in their environment, and they know what it is from an early age. In terms of how big the problem is, we know that in the past month, for example, among 12th graders, about 45% will report using alcohol. That number is somewhat lower in 10th grade, about 35%. And even among 8th graders, just for one month, we have between 15 and 20% of youth telling us that they've used alcohol. Now, are we talking about a drink or using regularly in those numbers? Well, what we're talking about in these numbers is that we're not talking about sips or tastes because the surveys that these numbers are based on very explicitly ask for a consumption of a full drink. And I think we know from much of our other data that for most of these youth, they're not talking about one drink. We know that when many of our youth drink, that they tend to binge drink, drinking you know, many more than one drink at a time. Alcoholism and alcohol use is certainly not a new problem. What prompted the initiative at this point? I think that we took a look at the data, and like so many others before us, we recognized that this was a significant problem. Of course, it's in the purview of the NIAAA, as we call ourselves. So, I mean, we recognize that this is a very large problem. With a very, It's a very high prevalence behavior among youth. In fact, you could say that it's viewed as normative by kids and by their parents. But it's not only the numbers of kids who are drinking, it's the way that they drink. We know from nationally collected data that compared to older people, underage drinkers, 12 to 20, drink on average about six times a month compared to nine times a month for people 26 and older, for example. But when they drink, their average number of drinks is five, and five drinks puts them in the binge range. The binge range is defined as the amount of alcohol that will bring an average size adult to the legal limit for driving, which is .08, and that would be five for men and four for women. And we also know from anecdotal evidence, you know, from stories in the newspaper about overdoses and so on, and the power hour where their 21st birthday kids try to drink 21 drinks in an hour, that, you know, oftentimes it's way more than this binge threshold at which they're drinking. How can anybody drink that much? Well, I think that, you know, for some people, obviously, they develop tolerance. And young people, their reactions to alcohol is a little bit different than adults. And so youth, I mean, we know this from animal studies, 
that adolescent animals are, are less sensitive to the aversive effects of alcohol, such as sedation and ataxia, and more sensitive to the social facilitation aspects. This may provide some clues to underage drinkers, human adolescents as well, may be able to drink more before becoming sedated. In the supplement to pediatrics, it's stated as a developmental framework. Is this a new approach to the problem of alcohol usage? I don't think, you know, that. I mean, I think we would be stepping out on a limb to say that no one has ever looked at this problem, you know, through a developmental lens before. But what we wanted to do at NIAAA was really get a comprehensive developmental view of what's going on. And what we did was bring together developmental researchers whose expertise wasn't necessarily in alcohol, but they were national experts in child development generally. And we brought them together with the alcohol experts that we typically fund, along with some experts in public policy, because clearly there's a a big public policy piece involved here in terms of getting the word out and disseminating the information that we have. I'd like to welcome those who are just joining us at the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM 157, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Dr. Bill Rutenberg, and with me today is Dr. Vivian Faden, Deputy Director of the Division of Epidemiology and Prevention Research at the National Institute on Alcohol Abuse and Alcoholism. We're discussing a developmental approach to understanding underage drinking. From a developmental standpoint, how early in life does alcohol become an issue, and is there a change between in the way it's viewed by a very young child and maybe a middle school child and junior high and then right on up through high school. Do their perceptions of alcohol change? And what are you learning developmentally? What we know is that kids see alcohol in their environment very early. And by the age of like five or six, kids already know that alcohol is for adults. And if you show them schematic drawings of a couple sitting in front of a fireplace having drinks, they might decide that that's beer. If you show a family around a table having dinner, the kids will be having milk. Perhaps the parents would be having an alcoholic beverage. So they understand that concept very early. And they start to form expectations about drinking and what happens when people drink. Up until the age of about nine, most of them are negative. It tastes yucky, it makes you feel sick, people act stupid, and so on. But then somewhere between the ages of nine and 13, their expectations about it start to get more positive, and they associate it with having a good time, being more attractive to the opposite sex, relaxing, and, and those kinds of things. Do we understand why that change takes place? I don't think we necessarily understand why that change takes place. I think we hypothesize that it's involved with all the other kinds of development that take place as kids move from childhood through adolescence to adulthood. They begin to undergo puberty. Their brains are developing. They're getting more cognitive skills. You know, everything about them is changing. They're learning to make their own choices. They're moving, you know, gradually towards independence. We have recently funded a couple of studies that will look more specifically at this issue. Are there any predictors that you can make if you take a group of children and you look at the five and the six-year-olds or, you know, up until, say, about age 10, and then look at them later on in life as a teenager or a young adult, Can you predict from certain behaviors in childhood what's going to happen in later life? I think what we can do is that we can look at young children and we can say which children will be at greater risk. 
we can never make absolute predictions. And, you know, part of what prevention is all about is changing pathways so that some children will look like they're on a good trajectory and, you know, may take a wrong turn and still get involved with alcohol. And some of the children we worry about early will have some positive things happen, you know, maybe a, a really important mentor in their lives. You know, so none of the pathways are ever set. The, ba- the behaviors that we worry about in young children include the sort of conduct disorder, acting out behaviors, the more uh, unruly kids, the kids that are harder to manage. We call that externalizing behavior. We have learned also, though, that the internalizing behaviors, anxiety and depression, can also be associated with risk for alcohol use. But we typically begin to see those things in slightly older children. Are there any standard measurements that are being used? For instance, is there a typical MMPI index or personality index that you could say, red flag is up, let's intervene now? And has that been tried? I guess I would have to say no, that we don't have an an MMPI type indicator. We are very interested in developing and uh, recommendations for what kinds of screenings can occur with children of different ages. For example, if you're screening children under 10, typically you're screening for risk. If you're screening between 10 and 15, you may be screening for initiation, you know, risk for initiation, for early drinking, and for some kids, you know, already for binge drinking. And when you're screening in later adolescence from 16 to 20, You're screening for hazardous drinking, very heavy drinking, and by then, many youth are already dependent. They fit the criteria, the DSM criteria for dependence. How did children first learn about alcohol? Was it through their parents, through the family? Well, I think, you know, kids are exposed to many things. I mean, most children say that they had their first experience or exposure to alcohol at home. But certainly the media provides plenty of exposure to alcohol, all kinds of media, including the Internet and so on. I mean, we know that on Facebook, you know, a very popular thing to do is post pictures of yourself when you were completely drunk and doing very silly things. (laughs) I think kids don't realize you post something on the web, it never goes away. Yeah, that's right. It certainly doesn't. (laughs) As a psychologist, do you think that using a developmental approach to the problem of underage drinking will result in different outcomes than we've gotten so far from our research on alcoholism? Well, that's certainly our hope, and that's why we've worked so hard in this area. We feel that we've done many things over the years, and it's not to say that we haven't tuned in at all to development. People have designed things for fifth graders or eighth graders. If you could look into your crystal ball and said, the best of all possible results that I'll get from this, where I can put this into action soon, what would you hope to learn? Well, I think what we're going to learn is we're going to learn more about how to be developmentally tailored. That means we're going to learn more about focusing on the contexts that are appropriate for youth. For example, we're going to learn how to approach kids at school versus how to approach them at, at health care. You know, we've already learned that scare tactics don't work. We're going to learn better how to use the systems that are in place, how to engage teachers, the community at large, our pediatricians, very importantly, and the people who interact with kids every day to be involved in this issue, to be looking for signs of trouble, and to all be delivering the same message. If we take a developmental approach, we also know that there are certain times and transitions that will accelerate risk. For example, the move to middle school is a risky time, as is the move to high school. Kids change peer groups and so on. 
But it's not just about risk. I mean, it's possibly a very good time to make an intervention and so that you could, you know, be protective at that time. So if I were going to make a suggestion to to parents and health practitioners, it would be to pay attention to times of transition and then be always attuned to the developmental level of the child. You know, we know, for example, that early maturing girls can be at greater risk. It's a delicate conversation to have. I'd like to thank Dr. Vivian Faden, who's been my guest, and we've been discussing a developmental approach to the problem of underage drinking. I'm Dr. Bill Rutenberg, and I leave you with the words of Samuel Johnson. This is one of the disadvantages of wine. It makes a man mistake words for thought. You've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM 157, the channel for medical professionals. We welcome your comments and questions. Please visit us at ReachMD.com and explore our on-demand and podcast features, which gives you access to our entire program library. Thanks for listening. Until next time, I wish you good day and good health.